can't be, no. But it was. Isadora did, in fact, look just like my mother. And I had never seen it. We're back with more stories from your friends and neighbors on the Valley Voices podcast. I'm J. Kyle Sullivan for New England Public Radio. After every live event, we're back the following week with highlights from our best storytellers of the night. Our final slam this season, DIY, held at New City Brewery in East Hampton. Usually we showcase our winner and runner-up by audience vote from each evening. This time we ended up with a tie. So starting us off in no particular order, Libby Woodfin, who shared some potentially hazardous bonding with her grandmother. So when I was nine years old, my grandmother became legally blind, and she came to live with us. I didn't really understand what legally blind meant until the day that she found her car keys. My elementary school was directly across the street from our house, and so I was usually the first person home in the afternoon, and on this particular day, I came home, and my grandmother was sitting in the living room wearing her coat, and she jumped up when I walked through the door, and she said, we need to go to the grocery store for a few things. I said, okay, it wasn't unusual. We could walk to the grocery store from our house. But instead of heading towards the front door where the sidewalk was, she headed towards the back door where the driveway was, and she was swinging a ring of keys around her finger. So my grandmother had a Ford Granada, which was her pride and joy, and she had quote unquote tried to sell it before she moved in with us after she lost her license. But she didn't have any luck, so my mom allowed her to bring the car with her and it just stayed in our driveway all these months since she had moved in. And sure enough, she was headed for the Ford Granada. And I was following her, and I felt my heart start to race a little bit. I got really nervous and scared, and I stopped in the middle of the driveway. And I said, Nana, aren't you blind? And she said, get in. So I was afraid, but I was also obedient. And so I got in the car. She took the for sale sign, tossed it into the back seat, And she asked me to turn around in the seat and help her get out the driveway. So our driveway was steep. It came down along the side of the house, and it was kind of long. It went all the way down into the backyard. It's where the cars were parked. And it was narrow. There were retaining walls from the houses on either side. So it was long, steep, and narrow. And I don't know if you have ever tried to help somebody steer a car going backwards, but it's tricky. It's really tricky when you're nine and the person who's driving is your blind grandmother. So we start to go backwards and I start to instruct her like a nine-year-old would. No, stop, left, you're gonna hit it, go forward. And it went like that and fits and starts up the driveway, up the driveway, up the driveway. It took about 15 minutes, but we did it. And we got out into the street, she put the car in drive, and we started to roll forward very, very slowly. And I noticed that she's turning her head 
like this constantly from side to side. And occasionally she cranes her neck and she just looks to the side and holds it like that. And if someone had looked in the car at us, they might have wondered why she was doing that and they might have noticed my look of a kidnapped child in the front seat, terrified. But nobody stopped us, nobody noticed us. There were four traffic lights between our house and the supermarket and we rolled towards each one and she asked me incessantly over and over, is the light green, is the light red? Is it yellow, is that a person? Is this Main Street? Is this the hill? And I answered all of her questions dutifully and we got to the supermarket and she parked away from everybody and we went inside. We did our grocery shopping and when we came out, it was much the same thing going home, but I realized that I was starting to feel more confident and I realized I had an important role in our partnership. I was the navigator, I was basically the driver. And when we pulled into the driveway and she stopped the car, I let out this huge sigh. I was like, Nana, we did it. She said, yes, we did. And we went inside and I'm helping her unpack the groceries. And once again, Nana, aren't you blind? Psh, the doctors don't know everything, honey. And she reaches into my mom's desk drawer where presumably she found her car keys and she tucked them underneath a bunch of junk and she shut the drawer and she looks at me and puts her fingers to her lips. Shh, don't tell your mother. Okay, I'll see you for dinner. And she disappeared upstairs. An hour later, my mom comes home and I go into the kitchen. Mom, I thought Nana was blind. And she says, she is blind, honey. She can't see anything straight ahead. She can only see out of the very corners of her eyes. And I'm thinking that makes tons of sense. But I said to her, but what does the legal part mean? And she says, oh, that means she's too blind to drive. And I said, psst. Hey, wake up. Your eyes weren't open wide For the last couple of miles You've been swerving from side to side Libby Woodfin, who's hopefully a little safer on the roads these days. Next, tying it up, Susan Kakalis, sharing the demise of Isadora. Although I did know a retired hitman, I decided to take out Isadora myself. <laughs> she had been in my life for almost 10 years, sharing an apartment and doing street theater, so I owed her that much. But Isadora radiated attitude. Every other word out of her mouth was an F-bomb. And she only wore grungy denims, these white vinyl go-go boots with three-inch platform heels, soles, and white rhinestone glasses that could not mask the venom. 
in her cold blue eyes. Her hair was a fright and her lip perpetually curled in a snarl. <sighs> oh, and she had a long white aviator's scarf with a hubcap attached to one end. <laughs> That's because she was named for Isadora Duncan, a pioneer of modern dance who met a tragic end when her billowing scarf got caught in the wheel of her car. My Isadora was also an artist. I had created her all those years ago as a life-size prop for street theater. <laughs> and we, honestly, we made a good team until one day my cousin came to visit. Oh my God, Susan, that dummy, that dummy looks just like Aunt Eleanor. <gasps> My, my mother? That can't be, no. But it was. Isadora did, in fact, look just like my mother. And I had never seen it. <laughs> All these years, I had been schlepping around my dingbat mother when I thought I was in exile from the family. So now I was confused. Who was she? Was she Isadora? Or was she mom? So I said to her, hey, what's your favorite four-letter F word? And when she said, fine, I knew she had to go. The problem was getting rid of her corpse. You see, I lived downtown in the fourth floor walk-up, and to get to my dumpster, I had to go out on Main Street, uh, down a side street, and into an alleyway. So I waited until dark, wrapped her up in an old sheet, <laughs> picked up Mummy Dearest, and went downstairs. And as soon as we hit Main Street, it's, oh my God, do you need help? You need a ride? Is she okay? And to my horror, I found myself channeling my mother. Thank you, thank you. We're fine. We're just fine. It's okay. I got around the corner. I got into the alleyway, got up to the dumpster, and oh my God, give me a break, will you? The damn thing was overflowing with garbage. So on to plan B. I take her back upstairs and I say, look, Mom, I'm going to have to dismember you. <laughs> so she says, fine. <laughs> I get some nice bags to bury her in. I did the deed. I get a silver faces bag for her head, some large TJ Maxx and Macy's carriers for her arms and legs, garbage bags for her torso. And this time, I threw them off the fire escape down into the alley and scurried down to finish the deed. I had to crawl up into the dumpster and clear a shallow grave for the torso. 
not pleasant. Took the torso, put it in, took the garbage bags back over the corpse, stuck the arms and legs into the whatever spaces there were. Regardless, the chicken wire shredded the plastic bag and got up and out and said, I'm done. Mom, may you rest in pieces. <laughs> Susan Kikellis of Northampton, Massachusetts, tying it up for audience favorite at the DIY Story Slam at New City Brewery in East Hampton. That's it for the Valley Voices podcast with our finalists from the very last slam for this season. We hope to share more stories each month from our past events, so keep an eye out in the meantime. There'll be more coming up this fall, so start rehearsing your own stories. If you'd like to see more Valley Voices, do us a favor and maybe share this podcast with a friend or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. It's way more helpful than you know. For more from your neighbors and friends, you can always find us at nepr.net slash podcasts. This has been the Valley Voices Podcast. For New England Public Radio, I'm J. Kyle Sullivan. Sullivan.